Welcome to Parallel Church. If you're visiting us for the first time, you picked a great Sunday to come. So we're going to share a little bit about the vision and, and just... This is going to be a little bit different for all of you who are regulars here. This is a little bit different Vision Sunday than, you know, in Casting Vision because um, we're just going to have more of a conversation than kind of a rah-rah, rally, let's go kind of thing. So that's okay. We'll, we'll do that. Um, let's welcome everyone that's joining us online. By the way, Parallel Church, one church, five physical locations. So welcome to Tabor, Claire's home, Okotoks, Lloyd Minster, of course, Lethbridge. And all of you joining us online, welcome Anthony and George and Hope and Carol and Shannon and Larry and Deborah and Blair and Jonathan and Tess and Kendra and Reese and Anna and Andrew and Dana and Sharon and Edna and Patty. Welcome to all of you guys. Give them a big hand. Welcome to all of you. So this is supposed to be uh, Vision Sunday, and I thought, I don't know, I just, as I was thinking through and preparing it, I thought, before we can talk direction where I sense God is going, I'm, I got a chair up here because I'm just going to give you a window, we're just going to have a conversation, I'm going to give you a window inside my brain and my heart. Um, what, how God's been messing with me over the last couple of years. And those who are close to me are very scared right now because you should be because there's crazy stuff that goes on in here a lot. But I just want, I want to be very vulnerable with you and, and just give you insight in all of this and then begin a conversation. We're not going to finish the conversation today. Certainly can't give you a full scope in 25 minutes. But I... I want to give you just a little bit of a, a, a sneak peek in and begin a conversation um, and about church and Christianity and what we're here for and what, what God is up to in these days. Because we can look around at the craziness of the last two years and the craziness of the last two weeks or two months, like, come on. And we can look at all this and going, <laughs> what is happening? And in the midst of all that, we still have, we still serve the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's still on the throne. And we need to, most of all, I think we need to hear his heart, what he's doing. And he's been messing with me in multiple ways. And the last two years have been unique for all of us. And a lot of what we've gone through, all of us have gone through in the last two years has caused us to be self-reflective. Anybody else? Like you begin to just kind of question everything. And it's healthy to question everything. But most of all, the question going around in my head is, is God, what are you up to? And what are you up to just on the planet? What are you up to in regard to the church, what are you, Big C Church, what are you up to in regard to our church? What are you up to with me? Anybody else? I kind of go like, okay. So God's been messing with me, and I thought, I thought, well, this is just me. And it's not, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give you some of my freakish thoughts. 
And then, and then if, if it's just me, you can say, yeah, Kelly, you're a freak, that's all good. But I'm guessing that probably a lot of us have the same questions because the, the big question is what's next? What, what do we do now? And here's, here's one thing. It's so good to see all of your full faces and you still have teeth, that's amazing. Some of you, anyway, no, I was kidding. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's good and it's, there's something about, you know, it's good to see you know, us move on and all the rest. But at the same time, you know, we hear people saying, well, now we can get back to normal. And there's part of me, a whole lot of me actually, that is like, I don't ever want to go back to whatever normal was. And we, like, that's all well and good, but something has massively shifted and changed. And we need to be paying attention to the front end of the wave, not the back end of of the wave, if you get what I'm meaning. There's a couple things that's happened besides COVID and craziness in the last couple of years. At the beginning of, of the pandemic, um, when we first got locked down as a church and we were told as, as churches across the province that we couldn't meet and there was about three months where we went, anybody remember way back in 2020? We, we couldn't meet in, in a building and we were just online only for about three months in that period of time. In that period of time, there was a group of pastors from across the province, and I think there was 181 uh, pastors from across the province that got together on Zoom and had a meeting. And when I got invited to this, and I, and I was, you know, was one of my closest friends that was kind of spearheading this conversation, or, or, or it got the gathering together of this conversation. And so I was excited. I, was, I, was, I thought, God, you're up to something. When 181 different churches and pastors from all across the province Every different denomination can get together and have a conversation together. Like, wow, that's awesome. So I was excited about that. And the beginning of the conversation was very good. And I thought, this is really good. But the conversation very quickly turned, I don't know, it went in a different direction than I had, had hoped. And some, I left the con- that conversation extremely dissatisfied and upset. I, I, I just was angst is, is the, just inside. Something wasn't right. And the big, the big reason that I felt that is because the conversation went from, you know, unity and everybody together and solidarity and all this kind of stuff to anti-government, anti-restrictions. And the biggest thing was, is we need to demand our right to meet on Sundays. And while I was, you know, I'm excited that we can meet on Sundays. And while I did not like, you know, speaking to cameras and and very much like the social aspect of being together in the same room, something inside of me didn't sit right with the idea. Have have we, has the church resorted back to just a gathering once a week? Is that what the church is? Because if that's what the church is, we're sadly missing a lot. And so because of that angst, I left that, that meeting discouraged, disappointed, probably for two reasons. Number one, the first reason I was dis- discouraged is because we've, we seemed more concerned about our rights than our, the well-being of others. And that concerned me. As Christians, that's not right. Secondly, it seemed that the church had been reduced to just a weekly gathering. 
And both just didn't sit right with me. And so this, this created this, this angst and this, this, you know, I went to what I do in whenever I feel that, you know, I don't know, uncertainty, angst, discouragement, whatever. I, I went to prayer and began asking God, what are we to do? What is the church about? What are we to do moving forward? Whether we meet or not meet, like, what do we do? What's, what, and asked him. And the second thing I do is I study. And so I began reading and, and, and studying. And what I began to particularly study is I began to study the early church. You know, and, and I studied a lot into the first three centuries of the church, and here's why. I studied the first three centuries of the church because they were under way more persecution and government mandates than we ever have experienced, and yet the church didn't demand their rights. They never even talked about their rights. They just moved forward with the mission and exploded and eventually took over the then known world. And I was like, what did they do, and how did they do, and how did they think, and not, not just some of the big stories, but I wanted to know what was their thinking, what was their purpose, what was their focus, what did, they, what did they do? And I wanted to learn, because I thought, I don't see, just not wanting to discourage you or, or, or give you fear, but I don't see things getting better before they get worse especially how the church is viewed and Christianity is viewed and all of that. So in the midst of all that's going on, going, what do we, what do we as Christians of today, the church of today, what do we do? How do we plan? How do we move forward? So I began studying. And I, I'm, here's, in the last two years, here are five books that kind of um, stood out to me and I'm going to give them to you because I'd encourage you to, to read them. Just stood out to me as far as asking either the same questions I'm asking or kind of pointing in direction of, of, of vision. It's, I, want you, I want to give you these books because then you can see that I'm not the only crazy one. <laughs> the first book, and I read this actually pre-pandemic, but it kind of it, it really slapped me upside the face. But the first book is Irresistible by Pastor Andy Stanley. And, and he asked this question. He's like, and he's studying the early church, and he goes through church history in this one. But he says, at one point, Christianity was irresistible. That in, in spite of the fact that people would lose their jobs, you know, their freedom, their lives and knew that becoming Christian would probably cost you everything, by the thousands, people flocked to Christianity. And yet today, when we don't have that threat, he says somehow the church has become resistible. And what is that? And he starts asking questions more than giving answers, but he starts asking questions much along the same line of the questions that I was asking. And, and, and I was like, okay. And he started poking at some of our theologies. So if you want to get uncomfortable with some of the theologies that you've been raised in, this is a great book, <laughs> just to let you know. Secondly, the second book, and I've mentioned this one often, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but is, is Resilient Faith by Dr. Gerald Sitzer. Who's a, Dr. Gerald Sitzer is, is a professor of theology 
And he wrote a book um, in particular, gathered all the documents he could gather, you know, tons of research over years and years and years, but all the documents he could gather in the first three centuries um, from the church and about the church. And there's letters in there from governors in Rome and Caesars about Christianity before Christianity was a really big thing. And it's, it's very, very enlightening as to how the early church operated, what they thought, what their focus was, what they were known for. So I'd highly recommend this one. It's fascinating. It, it, it's, he's a professor of theology, but he makes it very easy to read. But it's amazing how he puts it together. That book, and I've quoted it often because that book rocked my world. The second, uh, well, the third and fourth books that I read are under the same thing, but is uh, Rediscovering the Kingdom and Kingdom Principles by Miles Monroe. And you've heard me teach a little bit on this, uh, but, but kingdoms, but, but Dr. Miles Monroe unpacks the kingdom of God probably better than anybody I've ever read before. And if you haven't read these books and you want to understand the kingdom of God, where I think in our Western world and Western theology, um, we, we, have, we, we don't have a full grasp or understanding of the kingdom of God. And if we get an understanding of the kingdom of God, it changes everything, right? It really does. It changes your perspective, your wise. It, it, it helps you to do that. So those two books are, are amazing. And then at a board meeting, what was it, a month ago, six weeks ago, Chuck, uh, one of our board members, came and did a de devotion at our board meeting, and he brought this little, this little book and the book is A City Without a Church by, by Henry Drummond. And Henry Drummond, I was like, who, who, who's that? I, I didn't know who it was. Well, he's a Scottish theologian and biologist. Mix those two together. Um, but he's a Scottish theologian and a biologist who wrote this book, The City Without a, a Church. And Chuck just wrote a little expert, you know, read a little expert, uh, excerpt from that, that book. And I was like, ooh, that's really, that's, that sounds like right on line. So I... Got it, read, read the book, um, and it's like 50 pages. It's not that much, but oh my goodness. When I read that book, I was like, the thing that is stirring inside of me, and I'm working on a book myself about a lot of this stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you, uh, just about answering a lot of these questions, because it's just so inside of me, I got to get it out. Just <laughs> be afraid. But it's crazy because I, it's, I just read this book. Have you ever read a book where you're like, I should have written that? That's the same thing. And this book was written in eight, and published in 1893, and he's saying the same stuff, the th same things. And I was like, so I was encouraged that somebody else, the Holy Spirit was saying the same stuff that, that, that I felt God is saying to me. But I was discouraged that 119 years ago, it was written and nothing changed. But this book, The City Without a Church, let me show you how much inside my head Dr. Henry Drummond. Remember I said the frustration thing is, is the church resorted just to a gathering? This is what he said 119 years ago. This is what he said. He said this. It is because to large masses of people, Christianity has become synonymous with a temple service that other large masses of people decline to touch it. It is because the church has resorted to just a gathering once a week that masses of people aren't attracted to Christianity. Huh. Now, the city without a church, I'm going to unleash some of my thoughts and some of his, insert some of his thoughts on this. And it's... 
It's an excerpt. This City Without a Church is basically a Bible study on Revelation chapter 21, which is the second last chapter in the entire Bible. And Henry Drummond, this professor, this theologian, unpacks what he sees John's revelation of heaven being in a way that I had never seen before, but all of a sudden it jumped inside my, like jumped inside my spirit. And I was like, oh my. And here's, here's why. And he, he says this in the book. He says, how a religion views its eternity determines its behavior on earth. And every religion around the planet, how they view their eternity determines their behavior on earth. And, and honestly, growing up in the church, how Christianity portrays heaven to be, not biblically, but through just concepts and people, mostly people, people's ideas, for me personally, how I've had heaven painted to me, in fact, it was painted to me when I was a kid growing up, and my thought was, it sounds boring. You get to worship for eternity. And I'm thinking, I love worship and I love music, but after a while, I'm glad it's over. And I love Jesus, but I'm telling you, like doing that forever and ever 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 and ever. I was like, what's the other place do? Come on. How we talk about heaven, what heaven is, I was like, it determines your behavior on earth. And if, if we, and most, let's just, let's just encapsulate it in, in a second. Most of what Christianity has described seven as, heaven as is an escape from earth. And if that's what it, that's all it is, oh man. then all we do is we just get through the next day and let's get out of here. One day we're going to get out. 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 And we, we missed something. But look at how John, and it, this, this book, The City Without a Church, caused me to go back and reread Revelation 21 and 22. So let's, let's look at it. Revelation 21, verse 1, says this. John writes this and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so you take all this together, and the reason why I brought these books up is because uh, Dr. Miles Monroe says in the kingdom that right at the very beginning, God created the earth and he gave dominion to us as human beings to, to rule and to reign here. And in eternity, he doesn't cause us, he doesn't cause us to escape from here. He's actually going to place us back here in a new earth. For, to, and give us our original authority, which is to rule and, to, and, and have domain and, to, and all of that. That, that, that. We don't just get to escape here, but there's a new earth, too. That's a whole other thing. I'll unpack that for you sometime. But if, if you want more, just get these books. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So he has a vision of, of heaven, how he describes heaven. Verse 2. And he says this, I saw a holy city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
John didn't see a garden. That's how the Bible starts. He didn't see a utopia. He didn't see clouds and harps and Philly cream cheese. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) John saw a city. Which, think about a city. Heaven, a city. He saw a city. Then he goes on, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This has been God's goal all along, from the very beginning, to dwell among and to dwell with his people. Right? To be with his people. Then he says this, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. Yes, please. Why? Because God dwells there. But then John continues with his description. See, we focus on that, no more death, because we're looking for an escape from the death, the pain. The, the, but that's not, John mentioned that, but that's not where his descriptor ended. He said, that's, that's there, but that's not the main description. You get that? Watch, look at how he describes. Verse 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the last seven, the last seven plagues, you know, seven last plagues, and that plagues kind of jumped up for some reason, I don't know why came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The bride John is referring to is here is the church. I'm going to show you, this is what he says, I'm going to show you the big C, the, the, the church. So, verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me, here it is again, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. The church. Us, a city. And he reemphasizes heaven as a city, which is odd because cities aren't typically seen as heaven. Cities are typically viewed as that's where the crime happens, that's where corruption happens. It's dirty. And there's, there's people there, there's, it's corrupt, it's, it's like, you go to a city, that's the highest levels of crime. Like all these things, we just automatically assume this. But yet John is pointing towards and, and he's looking at eternity at heaven and he's trying to think and he's trying to write down, how would I describe it? And he writes down and describes it as a city. But then he goes on to describe the city. Not as corrupt, not as crime, but he says this. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewels, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So he's seeing purity, beauty, perfection. And he goes on, he says, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. That's an oyster and a half. Like, I'm, anyway. And the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Again, he's describing it as pure, beautiful, perfect. 
Not how any city is typically described. But then, here's the most shocking thing. And you've heard heaven described streets of gold and all this. But have you ever heard heaven described, and this is in your Bible, I didn't make this up, Henry Drummond didn't make this up, this is there. He says this in verse 22, and I did not see a temple in the city. Now why, why would, would John have to emphasize that? And why would a Jewish man point this out? Because to the Jews, to the Jews, the temple was the epicenter of God. It's where God dwelt. It's where the perfection was. Yet John goes and he describes the city as being perfect. And in the midst of it, he says, and there was no temple there. Well, wait, John, the city can't be perfect if there's no temple there. This is how he describes heaven. A city without a temple. Not exactly what you'd expect. And in curious as to why that would be his observation. Why? Henry Drummond tackles that and he says this. This is his conclusion. He says, the old Jerusalem was all temple. The medieval church was all temple. But the ideal of the new Jerusalem was no temple, but a God-inhabited society. Look at, this is what he says, his conclusion. He says, he goes on to propose that real Christianity is not about the worship that happens inside a temple, but about the change it brings outside of the temple. Think about this, think about this. I, I need you to catch this. If, this is, this is my angst in the last two years, this is why this book just like slapped me up, thank you Chuck, like inside the head. Like I was like, oh my goodness, it surmised everything that I was seeing. I was like, somehow our, we have reduced Christianity to a one hour a week worship that happens inside here. And Christianity was never, it, listen, if, if this is all about that, heaven's gonna be shocking because you're gonna look for a place to go worship because it's a God-inhabited society. And remember how I said, how you see how it affects your behaviors here. I want you to see something. I, this is what Henry Drummer proposed. He says, it's not about what happens inside these walls. It's the impact that Christianity and Jesus has on you and the effect it has outside these walls. And he proposes that the role of Christianity is not to change individual lives inside here and invite people into here. It's about inviting Jesus out there. And if you can, and, and about Christianity's role is to change a city. And that the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal, the reason why eternity and what he saw in New Jerusalem, and he described it first of all as gold and pure, and, and he's describing as much as he possibly can as perfect, is because the church had done its job. Let me, he says, let me show you the church. And he, remember, he says, let me show you the bride of Christ. And he shows them a per perfect city because the bride of Christ had done its job and had perfected the city in, a, in such a place that God dwelled all, of, not just in a, in a box, not 
just in, in the four walls, but dwelled everywhere in the city and had so redeemed the city that its streets looked like gold, that its, that its walls looked like, like, like jewels, that its, its gates looked like pearls, that it was so perfect. How else could he describe it? So perfect. Because the church had done its job. So what if, think about this, what if, what if, and this is, I'm just letting you inside my twisted, weird head, but what if I've spent my entire life building a temple? And I'm pretty good at it. But that's not it. It's not it. It's supposed to be to redeem a city. What if Christianity didn't get reduced to one hour a week? But what if it's a more Christian thing to do than to raise your hands in a service or just sit in a seat? What if the more Christian thing to do is to change your workplace? To change a city, to change a neighborhood. What about, what if Christianity's about redeeming a city? Redeeming cities reminds me of the book of Nehemiah, there's an entire book in the Bible about a man who rebuilt a city. Yes, it was Jerusalem and in the lineage of Jesus, and that's why I always thought that Nehemiah was in there. But what if the book of Nehemiah is a blueprint for what the church is supposed to do? So I read the entire book of Nehemiah. We're gonna be spending a lot of time there, I think, in the next little while, is that okay? But look, look at this, some of the verses that jumped out at me. Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah talking, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. I'm reading this as our capital and our borders. And I was like, you see the trouble we're in. Anybody watch the news? Can we, can we put this? You see the trouble we're in. Canada lies in ruins. Ukraine lands, lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. You just turn on the TV, you see this. So what's Nehemiah's response is not like, oh man, the world's gone to hell. Oh my goodness, it's oh my goodness. What is Nehemiah's response? His next response was, come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me and they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Interesting, he saw the city, the country in ruins and he says, we gotta do something about it. Anybody feel like that? Anybody feel like, hey, this, our country's in ruins, let us. Rebuild. 
Not let the politicians rebuild. They can do that. Let, let us rebuild. Not let whatever party, whatever prime minister, it doesn't matter. We can change who's in the seat and the prime minister. It's not going to change our country. Let us rebuild. Why? He says it because the hand of my God is upon us. And when you do that, guess what? There's going to be some opposition. Nehemiah 4, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. This is, this is what stood out to me in this verse. Not that there was opposition. That didn't surprise me. This is what stood out to me. We all return to the wall, each to our own work. And here's what hit me in that last sentence. What hit me is, I have built up, I've, I've taken Ephesians 4, you know, the role of pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I have defined ministry as what happens inside and building a temple. But what if? And, and when you build and you have ministries and gifts, and many of you have felt like, man, I'm passionate about the church, but I, I'm not called to preach, and I'm not called to, I don't know, I'm not called to do this, and I, what, what's my role? I don't know. But here it says, let us return to the wall, each to his own work. You all have a role to play in the, in, as Christians to change a city. Let's each do our own work, redeeming a city. What if the role of, of, of our gathering on, on during the week, what if our role is, is to do what Nehemiah did when he gathered them together, to strengthen them, to strategize with them, to plan with them and, to, and encourage them to say, keep going, you're changing the city, you're doing it. What if that's the equipping? Verse 17, Nehemiah 4, he says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. A sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. A trowel in the other. Whatever it might have been. A sword in one hand. And this, this is what caught me. This is a metaphor of what I believe we're called to do as a church in this next season. This is the vision. If you want to know what our vision, this is the metaphor. Our vision this year is to build the church and redeem our city. Our vision this year is to build the church and redeem the city. Here's, here's how. Here's how. This is what I think this means. Build the church. We've always done that. But here's what I think this means. If anything I've learned in the last two years is that our roots haven't been deep enough that many kind of got washed away and all, all the rest of it. And, and, you know, you're all here, so that wasn't you. But there's many, as pastors, I'm watching many people that we preach to every single week who are no longer anywhere in the scene of, of church or God or all the rest of it. I'm going, our roots were shallow. Jesus talked about that. And I feel like in this next season, it's not going to get easier. I feel like we got to get our roots down deep. So when I'm talking about the sword in one hand, I'm talking about getting our, our roots in the word down deep. And re the reason why I saw the sword in one hand and, and building the church is because Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says the helmet is salvation. And he says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I felt God say to me as I read that, that, that verse in Nehemiah was that we got to get deeper in the word. And so we're going to change a little, you know, a number of things around here. We're going to get deeper in the word. I'm going to become a little bit more uh, I, the mantle of, of teacher. Uh, I'm going to call on that and, and Bible teacher. And we're going to get a little bit deeper theological and, and in, in the word and some things. We're going to design some discipleship courses and different things. And we're going to build the church with a sword in one hand on the word of God and get deeper in understanding. Not, not, not according to Kelly's theology, but according to 
New Testament, what, what is in, what is in the, the word. And we got to understand, first of all, how the word all got put together and what's all this kind of stuff so we can know what's that okay? Because as soon as we hear that, you're like, well, what's our theology going to be? Jesus. If our theology doesn't help us love Jesus more and people more, it's wrong. So when Henry Drummond saw this, and I'm taking some time, it's okay. We're here, all right? We got it? When Henry Drummond wrote this book, A City Without a Church, and he started saying that, you know, there's no temple there. This is what he wrote. And I love this. He says, I saw no temple there. The future city will be a city without a church. Ponder that fact. Realize the temporariness of the church, then go and build one. Why? Because we need churches in every city in Canada. Come on. I'm looking right into the camera for anyone watching online if you're not in our city. We need churches in every city in Canada, every town, every village, every community to redeem a city. And if the church can take its job back and do that, what what, what would happen? So we gotta build some churches. So when we, the sword in one hand, we gotta build the church. We gotta plant campuses and expand My City Cares and equip equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're gonna explain that in the next coming weeks, what that looks like. Then verse 19 of Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah writes this. He says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. And wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. As I began to meditate on this, and I was like, wait a second, we have, we have reduced church, and all we know how to do church is inside these walls and putting on good services, and we do a pretty good job of that, all the rest of it. But now, how do we, like, this is extensive. This is big. This is, this is way, like, how? And you start to feel this overwhelming. What's this going to look like? How? Well, Nehemiah had the same overwhelming feeling, and the people he was talking to had the same overwhelming feeling, and they're like, this is, this is, this is extensive. This is spread out. This is, this is big. And he says, I know, but we're not alone. Our God will fight for us. And I think, listen, I think to the core of my being that we step into this vision And into this direction, I think to the core of my being, this is where we're going to see God meet us. And we're going to start seeing miracles like we've never seen before. And I think we're going to start seeing like breakthroughs like we've never seen before. And I think you're going to sense God in your business and in your homes and in your neighborhoods like never before. Because we've trapped him inside the walls of of, of a temple. And he's been itching to get out. And we want to see him move. He's going to move like never before. Our God will fight for us. Yes, it's extensive, but our God will fight for us. Today's takeaway is this. This is a quote from Henry Truman again. He says, when Christianity shall take upon itself in full responsibility the burden and care of cities, the kingdom of God will openly come on earth. When Christians take upon it 
themselves. When you, as a Christian, take upon yourself the full responsibility and burden to care for your community, the kingdom, the anointing, the power, God's way of doing things will openly come in your home, in your marriage, in your business, in your family. Come on, amen. He goes on, he says, people do not dispute that religion is in the church. What is now wanted is to let them see it in the city. Now look at this last quote, I put in this whole, it's a long one, but I want you to, because you're looking at what does, what does that mean for us? Because our vision as a church is not just for me and for a few of us, the vision of the church, this is us. Look at this, look, look at this. What do we do? That's the question, what do we do? You wish to say to be a religious man. I, I don't, because religion, bleh. but you wish to say to be a Christian. Well then be one. There's your city begin but what are you to believe believe in your city believe in your country what else in jesus what about him that he wants to make your city better that that is what he would be doing if he lived here what else believe in yourself that you even you can do some of the work which he would like done and that unless you do it it will remain undone how are you to begin this has got me. I can see if I can get through it without crying. As Jesus did. First he looked at the city. Then he wept over it. Then he died for it. I conclude by saying, we're looking for governments to fix what they're not called to fix. We're waiting for others to move. Church, it's time to take our job back. Are you in? Let's stand, let me pray for you. God, the work is extensive. It's spread out. Help. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd begin by giving us a burden for our cities, for our country like never before. I pray that you'd give us insight and wisdom into what this means as we unpack this over the next little while and begin to think on this and meditate on this and pray into this lord i pray that you direct like never before and we pray as jesus prayed your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven here we are lord use us Jesus' name. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, 
you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. It's just simply a relationship with Jesus, with God. It's not joining religion. It's not joining a church. Uh, so I'd encourage you, if you have never prayed this before uh, and would like to have a relationship with God, uh, close your eyes, bow your head, repeat after me here. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God, and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and accepted Jesus into your heart uh, and believe him as your savior, then congratulations. That is an amazing decision. Uh, we have posted a link in the comment section. You can click on that link. You can fill out that form. Uh, and we'd love to just be a part of your journey, help you out, have any questions that you might have. We'd love to just be a part of that journey.